This program is brought to you from Wisconsin Eyes Margaret Farrow Studio. Hello and welcome to Newsmakers. I'm your host, Lisa Pugh. Senate Majority Leader Devin Lemahue closed out the final floor period of the session with some pretty big wins under his belt, including bipartisan support for funding for repairs to Brewers Stadium and an overhaul of the state's liquor laws. He joins Newsmakers today to reflect on the highlights and challenges of the past year and tell us a little bit about 2024. So welcome to Newsmakers. Thanks for having me. So if you look back at the last year, what do you see as the biggest accomplishment in the Senate? Yeah, I think we, we had quite a few, um, which are great. But I think if I would rank them in order, uh, maybe the um, shared revenue um, expansion, uh, the brewers, and then probably the, the uh, alcohol bill. So your top three ranking, right. huh? So in an era of hyper-partisanship on all three of those wins. There were a good number of Democrat votes, I think, on the Brewers Bill, uh, 21, or I'm sorry, 19 to 14 on the Liquor Law Bill, 2111, big bipartisan support on shared revenue. Do you consider that bipartisan support to be also a pretty big accomplishment? You know, I think so. When we passed the budget, two years ago, uh, we actually had 25 votes on the budget. Um, Democrat votes. Yeah, including Democrat votes. And to, it's a, I th we worked really hard with the governor and the city and county of Milwaukee and the shared revenue bill uh, to make sure that it was something uh, that the governor would sign and that we could get um, buy-in from Democrats and make them comfortable with, with some of the changes in that bill. And, uh, and I think people just understand how important the uh, the, keeping the brewers in, in Wisconsin for another 20 years was. So it was great to see. Um, it was great working with uh, Senator Agard as a minority leader and, and the governor. Um, unfortunately, there's other areas where we can't get uh, consensus with the governor. But I'm sure we'll talk about we those will in talk a while. About those. Um, but it, at least in some areas, it's good that we can find consensus and get some very important uh, pieces of legislation across the finish line. The, you mentioned the passage of the liquor law overhaul uh, that happened right before Thanksgiving as, as a significant accomplishment. Came with a little bit of controversy. You pulled that original bill from its committee, essentially going around the committee chair. Why was it? Why did it have to come to the floor that way? Would you say? So we, uh, my office and I worked with all the stakeholders in the alcohol um, space uh, to find a compromise, and you know. There's been talk about getting a grand compromise on alcohol for years in the Capitol, and it's 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 just really hard to get everybody on the same page. And you know, when you look at a bill, a, a substantial bill like that, um, there's you know, if you're a stakeholder in one area, there are some things you like and some things you don't like about the bill, and that's that's what a, maybe a good bill, a compromise bill, ends up being. And unfortunately, there was a, a small segment of my caucus which wanted to um, change the bill, which would have killed the bill, essentially. So it was great to, uh, I'm happy we got it across the finish line. And uh, you know, there's some very important um, changes made in that law. And it was the impetus behind it was sort of the taxing of seltzers, which um, 
DOR is not sure how to tax them as a as a liquor or as a uh, as a malt beverage, a beer. Um, so there are some important implications of getting you know some of those changes done. But it's you know it's great for the small distiller. It's great for the small brew pub. It's and just making. Um, and that was the only way to get it done was right. to get around the committee right. that way. How how would you describe? the state of your caucus right now? Is it unified? Is it fractured? What, what's, what, what does it look like today? Um, I, think, I think it's fine. Um, <laughs> we're caucusing tomorrow, so uh, we'll see how that goes. But uh, I've you know, talked to some of the members, um, obviously, after our last floor session date. And uh, you know, sometimes, you, as a leader, you've got to make some difficult decisions. But you have to look at the bigger picture and, and what's best for Wisconsin and what's best for an industry. Do you expect any lingering heartburn with the caucus as you move into priorities in 2024? I don't think so. so um, one piece of legislation you mentioned that you haven't been as successful in getting across the finish line, not for lack of trying, is tax relief. Uh, I know you've been trading proposals with the governor. He had put forth a workforce proposal that included subsidies for childcare. You have been talking about shrinking income tax brackets. The governor vetoed the Republicans' $2 billion proposal. There's still this $7 billion surplus. How do you talk to taxpayers about why there's still no compromise on tax relief? Yeah, that's it's very unfortunate that it seems like the governor is just uninterested in providing middle class tax relief. Right now in Wisconsin, um, our when you make twenty four thousand as a single filer or thirty six thousand as a joint uh, married couple, um, that's when you enter that the main tax bracket, which is higher than Minnesota or lower than Minnesota, but higher than Illinois, higher than Michigan, higher than, Ill than Iowa. All of our neighboring states have lower tax brackets that their taxpayers are paying. So it's unfortunate that the governor keeps reverting back to the, oh, we can't give tax cuts to the wealthy, when you enter that at a very low level. And that's where that tax bracket starts. So the governor's to blame for why there's not tax relief. I, right. I mean, we can't, that's the vast majority of taxes are paid out of that tax bracket. So if we're going to provide tax relief, it has to be in that tax bracket, essentially. Otherwise, we're going to create more disparity between people who are paying virtually no income taxes and every hardworking person in Wisconsin. So it's frustrating, as, as you mentioned, that we had you know, a $7 billion surplus now with the governor's veto of, of tax cuts in the budget, um, we're projected to have another $4 billion surplus at the end of this current budget. Um, that's just hardworking people's money sitting in in our coffers, earning interest at least. Interest rates are good, but you know it's important to give that money back to the taxpayers. The governor in his veto message on the $2 billion proposal said it was fiscally irresponsible, that it would leave the state unable to meet its obligations even with ordinary revenue growth. He's, that's completely not... That's, that's completely incorrect. And it's, it's sort of ironic that he's making a statement like that when you look at his budget that he proposed originally, which brought us into a $3 billion deficit, um, with a seven, starting with a $7 billion surplus into a $3 billion structural deficit. Uh, so it's, it's sort of humorous, I find it humorous, that he's calling our plan, which is balanced, um, unsustainable. Do you expect to find common ground with the governor? It seems so, so far apart, a vision for what tax relief could look like. Are, are, you, are you expecting to put 
forward a new strategy or proposal in 2024? Yeah, I don't know if the governor is willing to work on true tax reform, um, which is unfortunate, but you know, I'm always willing to work with the governor if he's willing to work on tax reform, but it's, it's not going to be a gimmick. It's not going to add more exceptions. It need, we need to simplify the tax code. And the, the whole irony in this is we've been cutting taxes for well over a decade now, and a lot of the people wring their hands every time we do it saying we're not going to have enough, our revenue is going to go down, we're not going to have enough revenue. And every, every new year, revenues go up because we're leaving more money in the economy, more money is being invested in their people's businesses, uh, more money is being spent, more people are getting employed. So we have a very dynamic economy here in Wisconsin, and we need to continue to be competitive by lowering our income tax rates. Should we expect another tax relief, tax reform bill in 2024? Um, I'm not sure if we'll take another crack at it, but um, we'll, we'll see where the assembly's at. And uh, we're, we're not going to spend $4 billion just to spend $4 billion, that's for sure. Um, in 2024, there'll be 10 GOP senators on the ballot. Is it hard for those candidates to go out and campaign without having a win on tax relief? Is there only going to be 10? 10 GOP. <laughs> there might be more. <laughs> the Supreme the Court makes us all run again. Um, but, no, I think it's, uh, I mean, we, they, those people have been around for four years. We cut taxes in the first uh, session of that they were in office. Um, they can point to the many attempts we've tried to make at cutting taxes and, you know, keeping a two-thirds majority. If we can keep that, we can override vetoes, um, at least in our House and the Senate. So, yeah, th I think we have a winning message uh, to when election season comes around again. In divided government, um, we're seeing the parties use different tactics to continue to move their agenda from uh, lawsuits, um, influence around appointments, constitutional amendments. I know the Senate this session passed three constitutional amendments, two of which will be on the ballot next year. Do you see the use of constitutional amendments as one tool to get around a gubernatorial veto? I, I don't think it's just a gubernatorial veto. Um, it's also when we look at the new makeup of the Supreme Court, um, it's enshrining some of our laws in the Constitution. So it makes it more difficult if, depending on how this court acts now, um, with a change in, you know, with, with a change to being more activists, um, it will be much more difficult for them to overturn uh, something that's actually in the Constitution versus state statute. And, you know, and, and the governor suing us is taking sort of the ag exact opposite approach, trying to take the legislature out of, of things uh, by suing suing us. So it's, it's going to be an interesting dynamic. Two of the constitutional amendments that the Senate passed that will be on the ballot deal with election integrity. One of them bans local governments from accepting grants to administer elections. The second one um, would make sure that only U.S. citizens are allowed to vote in local elections. Why were those two particular amendments so important to pass? Oh, what we saw in 2020 is um, liberal groups came into Wisconsin and dumped a bunch of money um, into, you know, essentially five cities in, in the state, um, trying to sort of influence elections. And if, if a group wants to run ads, that's, they can run ads, um, but it's up to government to be running our elections, our local governments. So we felt it was important that, you know, whether you live in Oostburg or Sheboygan or Madison, that, you know, it's the same opportunities that people have to vote. 
in terms of election integrity, do you, do the Republicans that you talk to out in your district, do they continue to have significant concerns about election integrity? I th yeah, I think there are some concerns over election integrity and some of the things we've seen in the past. And, and those, those constitutional amendments will help to deal with that distrust? Um, the Senate voted in September to fire Wisconsin Elections Commission Administrator Megan Wolf. And since then, a Dane County judge has issued a temporary order saying she can't be removed, at least for now. What, what should happen to Megan Wolf? She should be sent before the Senate to be voted up or down. Um, that's what the law says, and that's what the Election Commission should be doing. They're not doing their job right now. They're not following state law. They need to, her term is done, they need to appoint someone, whether that's her or someone else, and let the Senate do their job of, of confirming or denying that confirmation. Um, it was funny, they first they were using the argument that uh, they didn't. They couldn't appoint someone um, because she was still in that position. And in their filing in the case, they made that it's their prerogative whether or not they ha they don't have to. Um, taking the exact opposite argument that they were making um, when they were refusing to appoint um, back in in June. Um, so we'll, uh, you know, we'll keep pressing pressing the. Um, governor's appointment to the election commission if they're going to actually follow the law at a point and um, do you think she should keep her job personally I think it's time for change um, 2024 is an election year there's been a lot of attention on the WEC and Megan Wolf do you think that is continuing to confuse and cause more distrust with elections you know I think if you ask the a lot of people around the state, they would have no idea who Megan Wolf is. Um, but um, there are there is a segment of society that doesn't trust her and doesn't trust our elections. And whatever we can do, the most important thing about elections is having fair elections, making it hard, easy to vote, but hard to cheat. The second most important thing is people's perception that it's a fair election. Because if people don't believe that it's an honest and fair election, uh, then they might not vote, they might lose their faith in the electoral system, um, and I, I don't think she inspires confidence with those who, who don't trust her right now. Um, the governor has criticized the Senate for holding up his administration appointments. I know you've pointed to a 97.8% confirmation rate, but you have rejected a record number of appointments during your time as leader what are the reasons for that? Is the governor sending you unqualified appointees? He's he's appointing people who are not even saying they're going to follow the law. Some of the DNR appointees said they might go above and beyond the law. They're not going to follow the the Reins Act. Um, things, you know, the Election Commission not doing their job in appointing. Um, when you have partisan appointees who are refusing to actual follow state law, that's a problem. So you, you feel it though that means though they're unqualified then? Right. Unqualified appointees. The governor um, says rejecting his appointments sets a dangerous precedent, especially for in the future when there might be a Republican governor. Do you think, do you think there's a concern with a dangerous precedent? I, I don't know what that dangerous precedent would be. Um, that's our job to oversee and, and like you mentioned we've approved over 97 percent of his appointments uh, we're working a bunch through the, the system right now but you know if if you're either unqualified or you're, you're going to refuse to follow what state law is 
as an appointee to a board, um, then you're not qualified to serve on that board. Uh, Governor Evers, you mentioned the lawsuit. He's suing Republican, the Republican legislature, alleging obstruction of basic government functions, including holding up pay raises to UW employees. You've called that lawsuit frivolous. Why? So there was a lawsuit or a Supreme Court case, state Supreme Court case back in 1991 that gives, that cemented into law our legislative authority in the Administrative Rules Committee and, and you know, th those, those committees that he's trying to take away our legislative power. He's trying to use the judicial branch to box out one-third of government. And that decision back in 1991, the Martinez case, um, was a unanimous decision by the Supreme Court saying that, yes, the legislature does have authority in the administrative rules and, and the legislative oversight. So uh, I feel it's very frivolous and I'm confident we'll prevail in that one. The, uh, I mentioned the UW pay raises. The legislature appropriated funds for those pay raises for UW employees, um, but they have n now they're preventing the pay raises from moving forward. Why, why do you support holding back those pay raises for UW employees? I don't support holding them back. You think that money should go out the door? Yeah, I do. You, how do you feel about the conversation about DEI positions at the university? Is that a distraction? I mean, I understand what the speaker's trying to accomplish with that. Um, you know, we should be focusing on getting the best student regardless of orientation, color, skin color, ethnicity. Uh, I think we should be trying to make the UW system the best that there is. And when we start focusing on things that go beyond that. I, I totally understand where where Speaker Voss is coming from, but you know, 90, well, a lot of the employees who work at the UW system have no control over the DEI protocol and, and all that stuff. They're just going in and doing their jobs, um, cutting the grass or doing maintenance or whatever. And uh, so, you know, with the inflation that's going on, I, I think I would like to get that done sooner rather than later. Have you been talking to Speaker Voss about that? Mm -hmm. um, there's also a holdup on funding for the UW-Madison Engineering Building. There's a shortage of engineers in Wisconsin. Is that is that particular stalemate completely political in nature, or is there concern about priorities in other capital building projects? No, that's another thing that I would hopefully we can get done by the end of session to get the engineering building started. It's one thing that the UW system does well. <laughs> so that that is that also something you've been talking to the speaker about? Yeah. Um, the state Supreme Court, we talked a little bit about this already too, is considering a lawsuit that might uh, require a redraw of the maps. You were just reelected to a four-year term last fall. Um, what do you if if the map is redrawn and it change changes your district? How do you feel about being back on the ballot in 2024? I mean, if the Supreme Court makes me run and we don't get relief from the U.S. Supreme Court, I'll run again. But you know, they're overturning the will of the people when they make the argument that we shouldn't be, you know. Uh, it's it's really unfortunate because we had, you know, half of the Senate was up for re-election and uh, we worked our, our tails off to, to win and win four-year terms and they're just overturning the will of the people. It doesn't work when you try to recall people um, and I think, I, I, I think it'd be a mistake if the Supreme Court would do that.
we had a legislative redistricting expert here in Newsmakers uh, a few weeks ago, and they talked about the Sheboygan area, part of your district, being one of those parts of the state that might change under a redrawn map to make it more competitive for a Democrat candidate. Do you have any reaction to that? You know, there was, before the 2010 election, that Sheboygan was all in one district and a Republican won that seat. Um, so um, we'll see what the new maps bring, and uh, that would be an assembly district. Um, it wouldn't be a Senate, yeah, be Senate part district. of your district, right, right, right. right. Um, what do you consider to be the biggest piece of unfinished business in the Senate that you want to prioritize for 2024? You know, I think there's two issues that hopefully we can get across the finish line. Um, one is the right of first refusal for um, building power lines, making sure that Wisconsin has a say in who's doing that, not the federal government. Um, so hopefully we can get that across the finish line. And there's also a, a UV electric vehicle charging bill that was just uh, introduced, which I think it would be great to get that done so we can start having, you know, planning for the future for more electric vehicles on the road. Uh, speaking of the right of first refusable, that would give Wisconsin Utilities uh, the first shot at constructing, owning, maintaining trans new transmission lines in the state. Does that bill have a clear path to passage in in your um, in the Senate? I hope so. Um, we're still we're still working on gaining support for that bill. Um, if you look at it objectively, it, it will help save. Um, ratepayers' money because some of those costs get shifted out into the system if it's locally owned rather than an outside company coming in and building them. So it, it's, it shows the savings for, for the ratepayers and you know all of our neighboring states I believe now have, have almost all of our neighboring states have passed similar legislation. So um, the fears about reducing competition, those are unfounded? No, because if, if the local utility um, is constructing it, they're sort of the general contractor, but they bid out everything, and the PSC also oversees those costs. They have to justify those costs to the PSC. Um, so there's a lot of checks and balances in place. What kind of changes do you think might happen with that bill? What do you mean by changes? Do you expect there will be some continued amendments or any I modifications? It's, it's, well, it's a pretty simple bill, so I, I don't, you either do it or you don't do it. Do you, are there the votes in the caucus currently for that bill? Uh, I think we're getting close. Uh, the governor has said he's he's not happy with the PFAS bill that was passed in the Senate. That um, conservationists also say that it creates more loopholes for uh, polluters. There's been years of work put on that particular issue. It passed on a party line vote. Was that about as close to a compromise, compromise as was going to happen in the Senate on that issue? I think so. I, I know uh, Senator Coles and Senator Wimberger worked really hard um, trying to um, engage everybody on that debate. And, you know, sometimes uh, I, I think they worked really hard and put a good good bill out there and the bill that we passed. So um, we'll see what happens down the road. But it's we need to, you know, we put $125 million in the budget uh, to help address the PFAS issue. And um, and that money's not gonna be spent unless we can get legislation passed and signed. Sure. Um, last week, Democrats elected a new Senate minority leader, Senator Diane Hesselbein from the Middleton area. What's been your experience in working with her? What do you expect? You know, I, I served on a couple joint committees with her in the past, um, so I got to know her a little bit. Um, I think we tried to eliminate one of those joint committees with a bill at one point, which was sort of fun um, when Fitz was the majority leader. But uh, she's, uh, 
you know, I worked well with Buley um, when she was major minority leader. I, try, I worked well with Agard as minority leader, and it's my intention of, you know, keeping Diane in the loop and, you know, working with her when we can. Um, but just, you know, we, I think it's important in the Senate regardless of whether we agree on every issue to to be very collegial and you know just be open and upfront with this is what we're going to try to do and and keep those lines of communication open because that's just to make the body run efficiently you expect the same level of bipartisanship in this next year as you've had in the past i think so mm-hmm. um, what do you expect to be your biggest challenge as the senate majority leader in 2024 Oh boy, um, you know when the it's probably the election cycle, depending on on where the maps um, end up. But you know we I've ran one election cycle now as majority leader, and we picked up a seat and found good candidates around around the state, and that's what it, it comes down to is when when you have a district up in northern Wisconsin that was Democrat for the last 25 years, um, if, we f- if you find a good candidate that, that really connects with the district, then, then we can win those kind of seats. And so it would be my job to, um, depending on where the districts wind up and who decides to rerun again or who might decide to retire if they don't want to move, if they get drawn out of their district, to uh, make sure that I find good candidates and, and try help them get the resources they need. So that's going to be a lot of your 2024 is traveling mm-hmm. around the state doing that prep work. Yeah. Um, what has been your proudest accomplishment as majority leader since you were elected in 2020, looking at the whole span of your leadership? Yeah, I think I'll point to the first budget that we got done. Um, where we actually, where the governor actually signed our tax cuts in that budget, a budget where we had bipartisan support, you know, 25 uh, yes votes in the in the Senate, um, huge tax reform in that budget. Um, but I don't know, school choice expansion, shared revenue. There are so many good good bills that we got done this session as well. So. Uh, keeping the brewers around is vital to the Milwaukee area. So, you know, I, th- I think we made some real good change this session. It's just unfortunate that we can't uh, seem to convince the governor that a simplified lower tax code would actually be good for the state of Wisconsin. If you were going to think about uh, something that keeps you awake at night, is, do you have a concern for the direction of the state? Or, or are you an optimist? I'm, I'm typically an optimist. Um, you know, my my concern is that it's something that we've known now for at least as long as I've been elected is that um, we have an aging population in Wisconsin and don't have enough younger people staying here or moving here. Um, so, you know, long term, you know, we've already seen, you know, nursing home struggle with employees, uh, finding nurses and CNAs. Um, so that's, that's probably one of my biggest fears for the state over the next 10, 20 years as the baby, baby boomers continue to con- to age, um, that we can replace them in the workforce. A lot of them are probably retired already, but as, as people continue to retire, that we can replace them in the workforce. And because, and, I, I mean, Wisconsin's such a wonderful state. Um, all of our lakes and, you know, recreation. It's such a beautiful fish state. Fries. Fish fries. Exactly. Fish <laughs> fries. <laughs> and the brewers, of course. Yep. <laughs> it, what, you talked before we were on air, you just did another Ironman? I did. Do you have any big, either professional or personal goals for 2024? Um, I'm hoping to get at least one more Ironman done in the spring of 2024. Um, but no, that's uh, 
I just like to, it's a good way to clear my mind after a, a long day is hop on a treadmill or hop on a bike or jump in the pool. So make sure that's a part of your balanced yeah. day. Well, thank you so much for joining us and we wish you a happy new year. Thank you. And thank you to the viewers of Newsmakers. Be sure to tune in again as we highlight the issues and sit down with the decision makers who make a difference for all of us. You have been watching a production of Wisconsin Eye, your unfiltered window into legislative deliberations and public policy programming, where our mission is to provide Wisconsinites an opportunity to access the legislative process and connect with conversations that inform our citizenry. Please consider supporting our mission, and thank you for watching. Wisconsin Eye, policy made public.